or at a different level than we've ever done before. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I actually enjoy reading uh, material by Eugene Peterson. He's written a book on the book of Revelation called Reverse Thunder. Now, Eugene Peterson's approach is a little different than many people. His subtitle to the book is called, uh, I forget the first part of it, but it, the latter part is and imaginary, uh, and praying with imagination. Praying with imagination. And Peterson writes this in this book that I think is so amazing. He just says, People that are in love often describe the distinguishing feature of their new relationship in some such words as, for the very first time in my life, I can say everything I feel and think. This is not because they've added new words to their vocabulary or because they've taken speech lessons. No, this is because they've met someone who truly listens. Isn't that important? Listening. And uh, true speaking is made possible when there is true listening. What good are words without a listener? Have you thought about that? You could be just talking to the air, talking to the wall. Some people say, I've practiced that. <laughs> you know, I've talked to some people who are not listening. And so listening is so important. And what I want to say to us is that we need to understand that God is an amazing listener. And so Peterson in his book talks about that moment in the book of Revelation where it becomes silent for a 30-minute silence. He uses that as a metaphor to say that why God allows silence at times is so that he can listen to his people. It's a powerful thought that the one whom the universe cannot contain is interested in listening to us. You ever thought about that? I mean, I want you to imagine for a moment somebody you would really like to meet. Maybe somebody that's famous or, you know, you really respect or admire and you'd like to meet this individual and to consider that that person not only be willing to meet you, but would sit down and actually listen to you. How many say, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that kind of be interesting? Just think of a person. I mean, this is a person that's probably difficult to even approach and many people would like to talk to them. But they're listening to you. And I think that sometimes we miss the amazing element in this life that God, whom I said the universe can't even contain, the one who has many people on his heart and mind, he cares about each one of us individually and he's willing to listen to us. Amen. That's powerful. That is, I think, deeply profound. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15, we have an outline of a model prayer. Now, when I grew up, we memorized this as if, if I said these words, I was praying. And some of you as well, right? It's called the Lord's Prayer. We memorized it. We had it all down. We just said these words and thought, oh, that's what we need to say in order for God to hear our prayer. But the problem was it was just rote. It was ritual. It was a liturgy. It was something that we learned, but we didn't fully grasp the significance of the words we were even saying. I believe that this prayer is actually not so much that we say these identical words, though I think there's some words in there that we need to say, but what I think this prayer is all about is teaching us how to pray. As a matter of fact, the disciples came to Jesus and, you know, of all the things they could have asked them, they could say, you know, Jesus, you know that last miracle you pulled off, you know, talking to the storm and it settled down? I'd like you to teach me how to do that, you know? Or, Jesus, I really want to learn how to walk on water. This, this would be great, you know? 
How many think you might get a little publicity walking on water? I mean, not ice. I'm talking about literally water. You know, you'd get some interest, I'm sure. People want to see how you do it. You know? But they did, Jesus never was asked those questions. No, he was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. You ever wonder why? Why would they ask that element? Because I think we struggle with prayer, number one. I think they could see from watching Jesus, observing him, how much he prayed and how he was in tune with what the Father wanted. And Jesus just seemed to know what to say and what to do at any given situation. And a lot of us, we just attribute that because he's, you know, God in the flesh, right? He's never going to make a mistake. Yeah, that may be true, but at that moment, he was just a person under the Holy Spirit's guidance and leading and he said, I only say what the Father wants me to say and only do what the Father wants me to do. So I want to take a look here at how Jesus outlines these six petitions for us in what we would call the Lord's Prayer. And there's really two focuses. And the two focuses that Jesus teaches us. And the first one is simply the upward focus. Now, I think this is where we struggle so much in prayer. How many here, you've ever had a problem What's the first thing you tend to do when you're going to talk to God about your problem? You tend to focus on the problem. Anybody besides me are guilty of that. Anybody else have a... That's, that's like first thing on your mind. Or you're, you're wrestling with a situation. You're trying to figure out how to handle a situation. Immediately, you're brought to God this, this issue. And yet, that's not the right place to begin in prayer. And I think there's a reason for it. Because here's what you need to know about life. No matter how young or old you are, you'll always have problems. Anybody figure that out yet? You know, I've actually interviewed older people in our congregation. I said, have you gotten to that stage yet where there's no more problems? And I haven't met one of them that says, Pastor, you can ever get there. You know, I've met a lot of people. I've never met one person that says, you know, there is a place you get to in life where you never have a problem. You know, I've never met that person. Maybe you're here today. You've never had a problem. Please. Talk to me, you know, because I haven't met that person yet. And I have a funny feeling I'll never meet that person because Jesus said, in the world, you will have problems. It says you'll have tribulation or that's a word for problems. You're going to have difficulties. There's going to be challenges in your life. And they just don't seem to go away. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? They're just always there. And so if we're going to have problems in this life, how are we going to manage the problems that come our way. And sometimes these problems are overwhelming. Sometimes they overwhelm us. We don't know what to do. They, you know, we lose sleep over them. We lose, you know, we have sometimes anxiety. There's worry. We've lost a sense of joy. Maybe there's no peace in our life. All of these things that are going on inside of our soul. So what can we learn from Jesus? You know, he, he says, look, you're going to have problems, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, there is a solution to every problem, but it's found in a person. See, we think it's found in, if I get more money, if I have the right answer, but I'm going to argue today that what the right answer to the problem is actually a person. We need to go to God. And so here we go, this, this key to praying here, we notice something immediate. It starts out with pronouns that are not singular. You think if Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he would just go, why don't you just say this, my Father, who art in heaven, you know, you know, Lord lead me today, you know, help me today to, you know, be delivered from temptation, but it's not, it's not singular. It's in the plural, and it's ironic that he teaches this in the context of chapter 
6 here because what's happening in Matthew, Jesus has just said, when you pray, go into your closet and pray by yourself in secret. And my Father, who sees in secret, is going to reward you openly. But now he's teaching us to pray with, pl- with uh, plural pronouns. Like, you know, our Father, lead us, forgive us. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, I recognize that not only is there private prayer, which God wants us to do, but God also wants us to pray collectively. God wants us to pray with one another. God wants us to include other people in our praying. That's interesting. And why would he do that? Because I think something happens when we start praying with each other. Something changes in the environment. Something changes in the atmosphere. Something changes in our relationship to each other. We're gonna see that in a few moments. So let's take a look here at the first essential uh, principle in praying. It comes by way of introduction to the person we're praying to. Notice it says, you know, he, he didn't say, when you pray, say, Lord Almighty, King of the universe. Could Jesus have taught us to pray like that? How many think he could have? Isn't that true about God? Isn't he the Lord of the universe? Of course he is. But he didn't teach us it that way. What's he telling us by starting out the prayer, our Father? He's beginning to cast this relationship with God so differently. He's basically saying when you and I as God's people actually are in a family relationship and the Father is watching over us and we're all his kids. That changes the whole context. How many know when you're related to somebody, you're gonna talk to them and relate to them differently than a total stranger? And so what Jesus is doing is inviting us into this amazing relationship of intimacy with God. You know, what's fascinating is that the religious leaders in Jesus' day had all kinds of crazy ideas about prayer. Now, you have to remember who Jesus is. He's, he's Yahweh. He's the one they're praying to. So here's what Jesus is saying. Don't pray like that. You know, these guys think because they have long prayers or they have, you know, they, they basically say all kinds of fancy things that God's impressed. Jesus is going, I'm not impressed. You know, how many parents, you can, you can admit to this, if your kid walks up and says, man, you're so wonderful, you're so great, you're so amazing, First thing in a parent's mind is, what do you want? (laughs) Isn't that the truth? You know, he's like, what are you up to? You know, like, that's not usually the way. You know, normally you just say, hey, dad, hey, mom. You know, but when when people come across like that, you just go, okay, what do you need? You know, and a lot of times, isn't that kind of the way we approach God? You know, we're just like, God, you're so amazing. This is what I really need, you know. He already knows that stuff. Okay, but these guys would pray, and a lot of their prayers were long, and they were filled with all kinds of verbiage. That means a lot of words. And then they, were, they actually believed that whoever was long in prayer and, and was, heard, was heard actually more readily by God. In other words, if you spend hours in prayer, then you're more spiritual in a sense. You know, like you're spending all this time, God's bound to listen to you. And then the more flowery, the better. One well-known prayer has no less than 16 adjectives preceding the name of God. And what that just really means is they're filling, it's a filler. You just fill in all these beautiful words about who God is. And it's true, God is all of those things but God is going, can we just get past all that stuff? We're family, man. Can you, what's, what's the deal? You know, you're my father. We're, 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 he's trying to get across this idea that God is our father. Now, I think there's always two theological tensions when we're talking about God. And one of them is just that God is, a, it's a word transcendent, which means he's beyond us, Okay. And some of us are locked into God is beyond us, but a lot of times as evangelicals, especially, we're locked into the eminence of God, the nearness of God, okay? 
Now, I think those, both those ideas are true, and when we have a right understanding of them, it changes our little grid a little bit. And I'll give you an example. You know, when we talk about Jesus as our buddy, and, you know, we have these terms of familiarity, just think about who God is for a minute, right? I think there's been a lack of real respect, especially we see it in North America. We just have lost respect for a lot of people, and I think we've also lost respect for God. We just keep forgetting how amazing he is. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, loss of uh, what I call dignity and honor. And, you know, like, you don't just walk up to a dignitary in our culture and go, hey, bro, how's it going? I mean, try, try doing that with the Queen of England. You know, hey, sister, <laughs> nice to see you. You know, you're not even going to get close to her. Does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? See, because we have this kind of this familiarity air about us, you know. Well, you know, he's a friend that sticks closer in her brother. Yeah, that's all true, but he's also a God that is to be revered. And I have, I have deeply, have been deeply concerned sometimes that we've lost the fear of God in our hearts. Like, you know, God's, I mean, God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. I mean, I think we gotta remember who we're talking to here but yet also not to live in that kind of craven fear where I go, well, I just don't have any ability or reason or, you know, like I, I just can't talk to God because I'm afraid of him. No, no, God is saying, call me Father, and I do care about you. And then I, I also notice that uh, who's included in the prayer? None other than Jesus himself. So when we're praying to the Father, Jesus is immediately included in our prayer. We're not praying alone. When he, when, he, when he says, our father, he's including himself. I like what Helmut Telica, he was a pastor during the Second World War in Germany. And he had put, been put in prison, you know, but he was also someone who was true to God and he preached. And can you imagine? See, we keep forgetting, you know, how, how crazy our world is. Here, you know, some of the Germans were not all Nazis. Just want you to know that. Here's a pastor trying to care for people, and he had 4,000 people in his congregation. Meanwhile, Allied bombs are raining down. So, I mean, people are paying attention to him because their lives are on the line. How many know you get, you, you get a little bit more intent, interested in life and death when your life is, if you're facing those things? And so Telica said some interesting things on prayer, and he said this. In other words, Jesus prays along with you. When our prayers are weak or listless, or he says even stupid, he lifts up our weak and tired words in his hands, and in his hands and on his lips, they become true prayers. In other words, what he's saying is, don't worry about, you know, I'm not always technologically, sorry, theologically proficient in my praying, but I know one thing. He's my father. He knows what's inside of me, and Jesus is helping me pray. Why? Because Jesus is a high priest. He's listening. He's interceding on our behalf, it says. He's able, it says, to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so one of the things that gives me great assurance in life is that every moment I have an intercessor. I have a high priest. I have Jesus who is praying on my behalf. He's praying on your behalf. How many think that's amazing that Jesus is praying for you right now? Jesus is praying to the Father for you right now. That should encourage you. 
I mean, you talk about it. I mean, that, that tells me that we have a little access, a little clout with the Father. How many say that's true? You know, our, our, our elder brother Jesus is talking to our Father on our behalf. And he's, and he's in a good square with the Father. So, you know, even though we mess up, the Bible says, he, you know, we can come to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in the time of need. Why? Because it's the throne of grace. God is giving us something we've not earned. We don't deserve it, but we can come to him and we have this assurance that Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, he's praying on our behalf. Wow, that is incredible. Tilak goes on to say, so often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our needs. And the reason is that we do not know the deepest wants and the necessities of our life at all. And this is one of the things that I've, I've noticed about life. How many realize that Earlier, maybe, in your life, you were concerned about this, or you had thought you needed this. And maybe when you finally get it, you realize, I really didn't need that. Anybody have discovered that a lot of things you thought you need, you really didn't need? Have you figured that out yet? You know, and you've kind of processed through life, and, and so the things that used to bug you or challenge you, they don't even bother you anymore, because you go, I just, you know, I, I know God's going to take care of that stuff. I just have this experience with God. He's helped me through so many things that I know he's faithful. He's gonna get me through this stuff. And that's so powerful. And I think when crisis comes into our lives, that's when we know that a lot of the things we've been aiming for, going after, are all the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? When we're in crisis, we learn that kind of stuff. So, uh, now, have you ever been asked this question? Have you ever thought this question? So then if God knows everything, why pray? Anybody ever asked that question, thought that question, or had somebody ask that to you? I mean, if God knows everything, why pray? Is that a great question? It is a good question. It's a legitimate question. And I have an answer. Are you guys ready? Yep. Okay. You're, you're, <laughs> he's, I'm ready. Let's do it. The reason why we have to pray is because it fosters relationship. Now think about this. You know, I have two beautiful girls up here. These are my daughters. Do you know, as they were growing up, there were things that they needed, and I knew that. And even before they asked me, I knew they needed these things. And even though they came up to me and asked me for them, maybe they thought I gave it to them because they were asking. But you know what is really neat? There's, there's relationship. There's relationship. See, God is interested in communication. God is interested in relationship with us. So yes, he knows. Can you imagine if God just kept giving you everything you need before you need it? You wouldn't even bother with him. Come on now, isn't that the truth? Aren't we that way? We're just gonna be self-sufficient. We're not gonna worry. Hey, if I don't need anybody, then I don't focus. But the moment we start realizing, hey, I don't have it all together. I got some needs in my life. There's other people around me. I actually need them to help me. It actually fosters relationship. God knows that. He's fostering relationship. Telica uh, says this. The main thing in prayer is really not that we present particular petitions, but that we enter into communion, into a personal relationship with the Father. Wow. That's where we get this idea of eminence, that God is with us, and he wants to be with us, and he wants to share our lives. You know one of the big hang-ups in marriages? And you know why people drift apart because they're not sharing their lives together? No amens. Where are you guys? Am I talking to the right group? It's about sharing life, right? That's why we communicate. And God wants to share life with us. Are we getting it? Okay. 
now, then I'll, I'll give one more quote by Telica. I'm reading a little bit on him and his prayer, and he says this, we learn that the happy gift of prayer consists in receiving the fellowship of the Father, that he gives us his whole heart, that we can accept everything from his hand. That's why our will emerges from prayer quite differently from what it was when we entered. Now, how many have kind of noticed when you really engage in prayer, you might have come into the prayer time and you're uptight about something, but all of a sudden as you bring it to God, all of a sudden something happens inside of you. All of a sudden you sense, how many have ever been praying and all of a sudden you just knew it was going to be okay? Anybody have that experience now? You're praying and you just deep down, it's not even rational, you just go, it's all going to be okay. You see, what is God doing? God is doing something. You see, I think prayer is not just about us getting what we ask for or want. I think prayer is also part of the way God brings about transformation in our hearts. God just says, listen, I know you're upset about this. I know you're anxious about that. But what I want you to learn is that I'm trustworthy and you don't have to fret anymore. I've got this. I've got this. And isn't that amazing? We can leave that room of prayer, that place of where we were praying at the kitchen table or wherever you pray and you're sitting down there and all of a sudden you get up and you go, you have a peace in your heart and you just know it's going to be okay and you have no reason to think why it's going to be okay. It's not like God just drops in, I've got, I'm going to tell you all the particulars of what to do. You just know in the inside that God's going to handle it. There's a peace in your heart. He's going to take care of it. And you get up and you go, the only thing that changed was me. I think God wants to change parts of us that reflect a lack of trust, a lack of hope. You know, he wants to remove the despair and the anxieties in our heart. Isn't that beautiful? Now that's, you know, so often we forfeit this when we don't pray. We're just walking around full of this stuff inside of us. It comes out as a reconciled will, a will that leans on the Father and surrenders to him. In short, a will that sees everything that comes, whether it be love or suffering, as flowing from the everlasting good hands of God, and therefore can say, not in sad renunciation, but in childlike trust, not my will, but thine be done. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. I'm content. Whatever God wants to do here, if I have to suffer a little while, that's fine. I'm just going to trust you, Lord. I know good's going to come out of it. See, it brings you back to the word of God. brings you back to God's messaging to us. You know, I love what Paul writes. I love Romans, the book of Romans. He says, you know, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Isn't that beautiful? The difficult things, the afflictions, the challenges, all of those things are going to work out. But, you know, we get all uptight. We get anxious. We get frustrated. Anybody else besides me? Anybody else have, you know, we get a little wound up? Anybody else get wound up? I know some of you. I know some of you get wound up. <laughs> so we're entering into the fellowship of prayer. And you know what I love about praying together? It erases all the distinctions. You know, and when you're praying together, everybody's equal. There's, you know, there's no gender distinctions, age distinction, class, race, economic, education, nothing. We're all kids. Can I just tell you, my prayer isn't any better than your prayer. You and I are children of God. God goes, hey, I'm just listening to all of you. I care about you all equally. It reduces all the things that we've created as human beings. We're all, we're just, we're all kids. And isn't that amazing? You know, think about when you were a kid growing up. How many of you, you didn't have to sweat things? I mean, you had a problem, you just go to your parents, right? Let them handle it. This is above my pay grade. I'm going to let God deal with this. You know, my parents deal with this. Now we can do that with God. It's awesome. You know, when I look at 
the early church, it's interesting that when Jesus is talking here, it's following the passage that says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet, pray in secret, and your Father in heaven will reward you openly. But I notice that now Jesus is using all these plural pronouns about prayer. So then we go into the book of Acts, and what are they doing? They're praying together all the time. I thought that's interesting. Not only does God expect us to pray individually and privately, but he's also expecting us to pray collectively and corporately. Because something happens when you start relating to each other on a, a, in, a, in a community of prayer. Something changes. You know, I, I, I have felt a deeper connectedness with people. You know, when you pray, all of a sudden, vulnerability starts coming in. And all of the agendas start diminishing. And all of a sudden we realize, hey, we're fellow human beings. We're strugglers with life. And we need to do this together. You know, as they were going to the prayer meeting. The early church was really a praying church, if you look at them. And on the way to the prayer meeting, what happens? A miracle happens. Now, isn't it amazing when you're in sync with God and you're walking with God and you're in communion with God, things begin to happen you didn't plan for. Isn't it amazing that you and I don't have to have an agenda? We think we do, but sometimes it's just good to just say, God, I'm gonna trust you. They're on the way to the temple. Here's this guy begging. And they say, well, we don't have any money, but what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The Bible says the man was lame from birth. This is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Peter reaches down. The guy jumps up. He starts walking. He's never walked before. He's 38 years old. I don't know about you, but when I watch kids starting to learn how to walk, it doesn't look pretty. I mean, they're wobbling all over the place, falling on their face, right? Come on, isn't that the truth? Here's a guy. He's not only walking. He's probably watched people walk for a long time. He says, I sure like to do that. You know, and once he started walking, he didn't stop there. He had to test it all out. He started leaping. You know, that's another whole function. I mean, he went to a whole new level. I'm, I'm just, can you imagine the people? It's going, wow, this guy's never walked in his life. Now he's walking and leaping. How many go, note, miracle? You know, that's a miracle. And you know, Peter's getting up there and you're going, well, don't look at us. We didn't do this. This is what Jesus does. You see, we didn't, it's not because we're so good or holy or that we have power in ourselves. This, is, this was done in the name of Jesus. Jesus did this. This is a Jesus thing, guys. And from that, people got, became believers. And I think that's so amazing. God wants to do amazing things in our lives, but he's looking for people who are in communion with him so he can actually operate in our life. And we're gonna see some really interesting dynamics happening here. You know, I'm gonna move through a few things here. Okay, so let's look at the first petition that Jesus instructs us in our prayers that we ought to long to see the Father glorified in honor. Remember last week, if some of you were here, I preached on living a life that would bring glory to God. Remember, anybody remember that? And so I'm just picking up on this theme again. If, you know, most of us, we have to just sit down and say, okay, this life goes by very fast. Anybody believe that? The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's like grass, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, it's just so fast. So you have to sit down and say, what am I trying to achieve in this life? And the answer should be, the right answer, I think, is I'm living to bring glory to God. That elevates everything we're doing, folks. If it's just living to scratch out a living, if it's just living to find meaning and purpose for myself, I'm going, the highest level of meaning and purpose is to glorify God. When you do that, you will have the greatest degree of feeling of meaning and significance possible. That's the goal. So it says here, that should be our first petition here. As we shall see, this does not mean that our personal needs won't be met, but our priority needs to change. Amen? 
So uh, just think about it. If, let's, let's just make a shift right now in our minds. Okay, if I move that, that little needle in my head, go, it's not about me, it's not about my needs, I'm going to shift over. Okay, what it really needs is I want to see my life bring glory to you. I want to make that shift today. How many think that might totally transform your life? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make a major difference? I think it would. Let me move on to the second petition. It deals with God's agenda first. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So now we have an agenda. We're getting up in the morning, but it's not ours. Okay, God, it's your day. It's your agenda. What are we doing this today? That doesn't mean you stop changing baby's diapers. It doesn't mean you don't go to work. I'm not talking like that. That's not what it's about. But what it's saying is it's not about what we're trying to get out of life. Rather, it's what God wants to do in and through our lives each and every day. We're saying, I want to be a kingdom person. I want God's kingdom to flow through me. Wouldn't it be amazing? This is not to freak you out. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus showed up tonight? You know, you go, well, that would mess up my plans, Pastor. I don't like that idea. Can, can I tell you, can I, can I just encourage you for a moment? It'll mess up, if, if that'll mess up your plans, you got the wrong plan. How's that? If, if Jesus showed up tonight, I'm going to tell you how good it's going to be. Everybody that's sick would be healed immediately. Immediately. Everybody would be healed. That's not too bad. Number two, none of us would ever die. No, that's not too shabby either. Anybody up for those two things? I'm on, I'm on a roll. I can keep going. Not only that, there would be no more relational tensions. We'd all get along. Oh, even better than that, there'd be no more sin inside of you and no more sin around you. That, that sounds pretty good to me. Oh, we wouldn't even have to have an election. We'd have the perfect leader. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought, right? No inflation. I could, I could keep going down. No carbon tax. We could have a lot of fun with this. I mean, it would really be good. You know, we would have amazing time. It would be great. Look at the third request, that God's will be done on earth. To have God, watch my says, to have God do his own work through us even once is better than living a lifetime of human striving. That's a powerful statement. What's he saying? He's saying it's so profound when you and I do God's will, it it just changes the whole equation. That's what God is looking for. You know, the noted leader of the Reformation, anybody heard of Martin Luther? Let me just read something, and I'm going to explain this, and this to me is so radical. Just, Just bear with me. Let's go. People say, yes, certainly God has given us a free will, and to this I reply, be sure he has given us a free will. Why then will you not let it remain free? but make it your own will. If you do with it what you will, it is not a free will. It is your own will. See, that's where our culture is confused. They think they're free because they're doing their thing. But God has has given neither you nor any man your own will, for your own will comes from the devil and from Adam. They made the free will which they received from God into their own will. For a free will desires nothing of its own. It only cares for the will of God and so remains free, cleaving and clinging to nothing. Now let me just unpack the ego. That's pretty intense. That's a theological stuff there, Pastor. What Luther is saying is that when we do our will, we're not free. We're only truly free when we do God's will. 
Is that amazing? You know why he says that? Because he says we all have an Adamic sinful nature. And until we just say, that's why we should be praying this prayer, Lord, not my will. Like Jesus, your will be done. The moment we pray that prayer, something changes. You know, what is God's agenda in this? Man, wouldn't that be great? You know, here's a couple, they're, they're, not, they're not doing good, they're arguing with each other. Does that ever happen? Time out, we're gonna pray. Here's the prayer. Lord, we don't know what to do. We obviously are of two minds. We have two distinctly different wills, and that's why there's conflict. You know all conflict is over control. So let's just sit down and go, what's your will? <laughs> and you know what? We're not even gonna argue for a while until you show us both what your will is for us. What would you think would start happening? I think we would have a lot less conflict. I think we would actually have a mechanism. See, I'm, I'm forcing us to pray together. See, I think when we start praying together, things start changing in our lives. Our relationships start changing. Everything starts changing. The direction of our life is, is actually to do what God wants us to do. See, every day I think we need to ask ourselves, who, whose agenda am I on? Does this bring glory to God? Is this in violation with God's revealed will in his word? You know, Hudson Taylor, who is a very noted missionary in China, and if you never, don't know who he is, he's the guy that started to live like the Chinese so he could bring the gospel in a way that they could understand it. You know what he, he wrote this? I used to ask God to help me. Any, anybody, we all start out, hey God, I need help. I've prayed that lots of times. Nobody else, anybody else go, God, I need help. Okay, then he says, I started to ask if I might help him. How many think it's a little different prayer? I need help, now I'm going, God, can I help you? You know, and then I ended up asking him to do his work through me. In other words, God, I just want to be a channel. I just want to be a conduit of what you want done. I'm, I'm literally surrendering my will to do your will. Oh, by the way, that's why you created me to, was to do that. Oh, this is so much more fun than what I was doing. Oh, oh, this is great. I'm actually becoming the person I was designed by God to be. How many think that might be fun? That just might be a great thing to start happening in our lives, you know? Okay, let me move on to the second focus, which is an outward focus. And I just raised the questions. How many here, you say, you know, my life is filled with anxiety. I worry a lot. I stress a lot. I'm uptight a lot. I'm frustrated a lot. I'm not talking about anybody here in particular, but, you know. <laughs> or how about, do I have a forgiving spirit, you know? Do I have that forgiving heart, have we been so gripped with amazing grace from our Heavenly Father that grace just flows from us? I mean, the next request is simply this. Give us today our daily bread. You know, I think what we ask for reveals a lot about ourselves. You know what we really want? This is what we want. Give us today the bread that we'll need for the rest of our life today. Anybody relate to that? God, I want to have all the grace today that I'll need for the rest of my life so that I really don't need you anymore. You see, when you and I have to come to God every day and say, Lord, I just want my daily bread, that means I have to come to God every single day asking for my daily bread. How many see there's a little connectedness there? And actually God says, you know what, it's like manna. I'm only going to give you as much as you need. I'm gonna give you today exactly what you need for today. Yeah, but I got this big problem tomorrow I gotta to deal with. God says, yeah, but when you get there, I'll give you the grace for it. See, we, we, we do a lot of stewing over the problem. 
Now, remember I said earlier, what happens when we're focused on the problem? You know what happens when we focus on the problem? We just get filled with anxiety. How many of that's true? That's the way we work. You know, so I, I could just sit down here and we could have a long conversation. I could go around and interview wall and you could just say, now tell me about the problem that you're going through right now in your life and where's your focus? And immediately some of you just go, this is my problem, this is my focus, this is my, I've been thinking about it and working on it. And you know what? You know why I know this stuff? Because I do this. But here's what God's showing me. He says, don't do that. You start by praying not about your problem. You start your prayer by focusing on who God is. What do you think happens when you focus on who God is? What do you think is going to begin to happen? Your whole mind is going to change. You're going to move from being a problem-centered person to a hope-centered person. You're going to move from all of the issues that you're battling with right now, you're going to move to a place in your soul where you're going to go, you know what? God's greater than this. This is like a molehill compared to God. I've just had a vision of how great God is, and this may seem like a mountain to me, but it's nothing to God. He can just say, be gone, and it's gone. So I'm not going to sweat it anymore. I'm just going to let God begin to work with me and have the right attitude, the right heart. I want to do his will. I want him to be glorified in it. God starts working. You know, how many times does God have to tell us, back off? I've got this. I can handle it. Fifth petition has to do with our greatest need, which is, by the way, forgiveness. How many know that you and I sin every day? Some of you go, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You just don't know it. See, you and I do a lot of things that alienate God. But here's what the Bible says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So what is Jesus doing every single day? The sins that you and I commit that we don't even know we're committing, he's just cleansing every day because we're walking with him. How many go, that's amazing? How many, that's great. God just keeps cleansing us and working in our soul and covering and overshadowing us. And that just tells me because why does he do that? He's such a forgiving God. He's full of grace and mercy. So now, if I'm experiencing this kind of a life that I'm getting all this grace from God, if I'm really experiencing it, what do you think is going to happen when people are doing stuff to me? I'm going to be doing the same thing. You see, one of the ways I know I'm experiencing forgiveness is that I'm a shower of forgiveness. Are we following this? Because you see, we struggle with forgiveness. We don't think we do, but we actually do. We all do, to some degree. And that's why Jesus in this prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, how many here probably think, I probably need a bit of forgiveness? I got my hand up. I need a little bit of forgiveness. So I want to be a channel of that forgiveness. So, you know, we have to kind of decide, if I'm receiving this love and grace and forgiveness from God, then we just become a channel of it. And that leaves us in a state of freedom. A lot of people are not free. A lot of people are in bondage. A lot of people are in pain. A lot of people are suffering because of what's happened to them in the past. And now all of a sudden, we just feel broken and we feel defeated and we feel despair and we feel anxiety in our soul. We got all these issues. And all I'm saying today is, hey, why don't we just take them to God right now and say, okay, these things happened in the past. They're still defining my life. I gotta let them go. I gotta get free from this stuff. I gotta walk in freedom. I gotta make that decision about not my will, but yours be done. Remember going back there again. I want to have a free will. I want to live in that freedom. 
Therefore, I choose to do your will. And one of the things is the will of God is that you and I forgive. Yeah, but God, you know how bad these guys hurt me? Yeah, I know. People will hurt you. That's why we have to forgive them. See, you're going to give them the same gift God gives you. It's the gift that they don't deserve. How many know forgiveness is the gift you're giving to somebody who does not deserve that gift? That's why it's called forgiveness. God has given you and me the same gift. It's called forgiveness. He's giving us a gift we don't deserve. Do we deserve forgiveness? No. And then you and I in turn, when we do forgiveness, we're becoming like Jesus. We just have to become, decide, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to forgive. And then people who truly receive the forgiveness of God, I believe are forgivers by nature. They just start developing and cultivating a life of forgiveness. Let me move to the final petition. It has to do with protection. Knowing that our weaknesses as people are marred by the effects of sin, how many know we need God's strength to help us not be destroyed? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, now the NIV, the new NIV says from the evil one. Now the, I was always taught deliver us from evil, period. But it's actually in the Greek language, it's the evil one. So we're being delivered from evil. Who, who inspires it? Satan. And so a lot of our issues in this life have nothing to do with people. See, that's our problem. Immediately somebody hurts me, I get upset with them. Come on. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So how do you think Satan's going to work? How do you think Satan's going to work? He's going to use other people. He's going to use other people. I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. So it's not the person. You see, I'm, I'm going to remove the person for a minute. Go, okay, that's, that's what's coming from the devil. It's, it's designed to cause offense, brokenness, and defeat in my life. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Wow. Now think about it. <clears throat> Haddon Robinson says, if we don't ask for this, is God going to lead us into temptation? That's an interesting question. He's a preacher. It's a difficult question. I take it as what grammatarians call a litos, which means stating something negatively in order to say something positively. In other words, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil, or the evil one. You know, he shares a story, and I like this story, about two Jewish ladies. He was eating in a deli, and the two Jewish women were talking, and they were talking about one of the women was talking to the other, describing the young man her daughter was going to marry. And he had completed medical school, had a good practice, came from a very good family. And in other words, she was marrying into, you know, a level of prestige and she'd be cared for. The other woman listened to all of this and said, he's not object objectable. Objectionable, is he? No, he's not objectionable. So what is she saying? That's stated in the negative. What she's saying is, man, she just got a good catch, right? Jesus is saying that we ought to pray, in a sense, to be led into paths of righteousness. See, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead, you know, go back to the, the, the Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. What's he gonna do? He's gonna lead me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the way Jesus is framing it here in the prayer the Lord's Prayer is simply, you know, don't let me go down the wrong path. Lord, help me to go on the right path. Help me to go on your path. Help me to do the right things and not the wrong things. Help me to be delivered from Satan's strategies, which are designed to defeat me. Now, 
Temptation's a pretty strong thing, right? And a lot of people struggle with addictions and all kinds of issues. But I like what Henry Nouwen says. I cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there's something 10 times more attractive to choose. See, you know, he goes on to say, saying no to my lust, my greed, my needs, and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all of my energies to saying yes. So the way to say no to sin is to just be so much, you know, you're not tempted if you're enjoying this. That goes, that's, that's paltry, you know? Let me give you, an, I'll use a financial illustration you'll understand, Okay. You think somebody's going to go, hey, I got $10. I'll trade, you know, that for 100 bucks. You're going, really? You think I'm stupid? You know? But we do that all the time. See, we don't think of it that way. In a financial realm, we get it. How many here are you going to say, oh, yeah, I'll make that trade any day, Pastor. I'll, I'll trade my $100 bill for a $10 bill. Most of you goes, get a life. You don't have the sense of what the real value of the money is. That's my point. Get a life. You have no sense of the value of righteousness versus evil is. It's the same idea. We just don't think of it in those terms, right? So now we're praying, God, deliver me from this. But let me close with this. So why do we struggle with praying? I'm gonna skip over a couple of things. And the answer is, and I like what Telica says, the world with its other gods and its many cares and consuming desires has become our home and the region of prayer has become a strange and alien country. That's why it's so often so hard for us to make the transition from our world to the realm of prayer. We are filled with cares. We are distracted and driven about by doubts and restraints. We stand at the bottom of the stairs crying out from a long distance, but Jesus lives and breathes in the atmosphere of eternity. True prayer, this is now where I'm at, true prayer brings us into union with God, something which the enemy of our soul hates. He's gonna battle it. Okay, right? Because you know what? If you and I are in relationship to him, everything changes. And he knows that. You know, true prayer is about him and not just about our needs. It's changing our agenda into his. And at the same time, freeing us from our compulsions and addictions. It's finding rest for our souls in him. Let's stand. You know, how many here you just have to say, you know, it's so easy in this life to allow the pressures and the difficulties in our life to focus us away from who God is. Isn't that true? Doesn't that happen? How many say that happens? Anybody else can relate to this? How many say, you know what? I just want to enter in to a depth of relationship with God. I just want to enter into, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom We just bring it to God. So I don't know all of the challenges you're faced with, but I'm going to just point out to you, no matter how young, no matter how old, you'll always have trouble. What the enemy wants to do is keep you focused on the trouble rather than focused on God. That's where he's at. And how many here is going to say, you know, this morning, I just want to focus on God. I just want to have the right value system. I just want his kingdom to come. I just want his will to be done in all of us. Is that you today? Anybody here just want to lift up what's going on? The shift of focus from God, from your problem to God. 
Is that good? Is that making, how many go, Pastor, I'm getting this. God's speaking to me today. And I'm recognizing that why he lets these things in our lives is so that you and I have to live in daily dependency on him and in daily relationship with him. Because otherwise, let's face it, if, when did the Israelites forget God? When everything went good. When there was affluence, everything was going good, they forgot God. Isn't that true? That's human nature. When I think I'm making it on my own, why am I going to trust God? Why am I going to look to God? I'm not. That's the problem. God is trying to help us say, look, this is the right way. This is the way, the way of righteousness. Walk in this way. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today. We're going to lift our burdens, our troubles, our trials, our difficulties, our pressures. Lord, we're going to look past all of those things. We thank you that we can look to you. Our eye is on you now. We know how great you are, how amazing you are, how mighty you are. We thank you that you're our Father. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you know every need even before we ask, but you still want us to ask because you want to commune with us. You want relationship with us. That amazes me that you want relationship with us. We thank you for that. I just pray today, Lord, that your kingdom would invade every heart here. I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name.